We are downtown. We are historic. We are family. We are scriptural. We are First Baptist Church. It is so good to be with you uh, this morning to worship with you. Uh, one of the greatest promises of Jesus is that he is our joy and that when he comes into his kingdom that he will wipe away every tear and all sorrow will cease and death will be no more and he will be our joy. We're going to stand together. We're going to sing. Christmas isn't over yet. We're going to sing joy to the world.
nature sing, and heaven and nature sing, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. Amen. Oh, come, oh, come in my Ransom captive Israel, that in lonely exile here until the Son of God
continue in worship. Um, one of the ways that we worship is in giving, and, and we give not because God has need of our giving. We give because um, God is the greatest giver. He's always our great benefactor. And so as we give, we worship him and acknowledge that he gave us the greatest gift of all, Jesus, his very son. So as we sing, we will worship in giving. Since 
tragically broken and sinful people, but we proclaim the goodness of the gospel, that all of our sin rested upon the shoulders and body of a broken Christ on the cross, who rose victoriously over sin and death so that we can know forgiveness and wholeness and restoration, as he we proclaim is good and true. In Jesus' name we pray to all God's people say, amen. Oh, man. Man, I hope all of you had a delightful Christmas. Some of you traveled, some of you stayed here. I hope you remembered that, indeed, our greatest gift is the gift of Jesus. This is why we give gifts. Sometimes we give a lot of gifts, but we give because um, the Father is the greatest giver of his Son and continues to give, continues to give, and will give to the nth degree when Christ returns. If you are new with us today, let me say thank you for joining us. Um, we're so glad that you're here with us. If you're family from out of town, um, visiting family for uh, Christmas, man, I, I'm so grateful that you chose to worship with us this morning. Um, in the chair in front of you, there should be a little card that looks like this. It says, connect here. If you would just honor us by filling this out, um, we would just love to know that you were here with us um, so that we can begin a relationship with you. At the close of our time of worship, I'll be standing back there. I'll try to get there as quickly as possible because I don't, for the, you visitors, I, I, I normally don't sing. Um, I normally don't sing. So I'm going to try to get myself back there as quickly as possible. And I want you to hand this to me if you fill, filled one out. But we're so glad that you're here with us. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, this is your word to us. Lord, you have been telling us uh, all along through Matthew what your kingdom will be like in all of its glory and fullness made possible by your son, Jesus. Um, and so, Lord, help us to hold on to those truths and long for those truths to take greater shape in us now, but certainly when Jesus returns. Lord, thank you for your word to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Well, it seemed chaotic, all that wailing and crying. The courtyard was full of people. 
people who were beside themselves with grief, people who had been hired to grieve and wail so that the town could announce the passing of a loved one. But the scene moments before was equally as chaotic. People were pressing into Jesus, and a man fell at his feet. We know that this man's name was Jarius, and he said, it's my daughter, she's dying. You must, you must lay hands on her so she will live. The man tugged at Jesus' sleeves, pulling him in the direction of his home where his daughter lay, and Jesus stood up and followed him. So did everyone else. It was loud, it was stifling, with Jesus just barely ahead of the crowd. Seemingly out of nowhere, someone yelled, it's too late, she's already dead, don't, don't trouble the teacher. As you can imagine, the father's face went from urgency and hope to immediate grief. He went from a run to a slow pace where his daughter had already died. But Jesus was now the one pulling him and he said, don't be afraid, believe. Once at the father's house, Jesus motioned for Peter and James and John to come in with him into the courtyard and asked the rest of the crowd and the remaining disciples to stay out there. And Jesus stood in the middle of the courtyard with everyone around him. He spoke and he sighed and he spoke over all the wailing and the flutes and the recorders. And he said, why are you crying? Why all the commotion? Why all the wailing? This girl is not dead. She's asleep. And they all laughed. He took the father and mother by the hand and went where the girl had been laid. He told the crowd to leave. And the wailers and the flute players left the courtyard. And remaining was just the few disciples, Peter, James, and John, and this girl's immediate family. And he went to where she laid. She was already covered from head to toe. And reaching under the blanket, he grabbed her hand. And bending down to her face, he whispered, Talitha, Talitha Kumi, which means, little girl, get up. And just like that, this little girl stood up and she walked into the courtyard. And her parents were amazed at what Christ had done. And Peter, James, and John just stood beside themselves in awe of the one who calms the storm, the one who touches the leper and restores relationship, the one who touches Peter's mother-in-law's hand and rids a fever, and the one who calls the dead back to life. This story, much like all the miracles, is an incredible story, a small little story, just a handful of verses. If you go to Mark and Luke, there's a little more depth to this story there, some of which I've already retold to you, but in Matthew, it's this little story, and what I've already told you through the course of this series is that we're asking primarily one question, that we believe that, that 
the miracles are telling to us. The reason why Jesus does these miracles is to answer for us, what is the kingdom of God like? When he brings it in all of its fullness, what is it going to be like? What is the kingdom of God like? And so this is no different. We've already learned that when Jesus touched the leper's hand, when he was, had been unclean and cut off from all of his relationships, the kingdom of God restores relationships through forgiveness and restorations. We, we've learned also that when Jesus touched Peter's mother-in-law and cast out the demons, we learned the kingdom of God um, there's no place in the kingdom of God for disease and physical brokenness and ailment. Uh, and we've learned there's no place for the kingdom of darkness, that all of it will be cast out. Uh, we learned last week, a little different, where Jesus was really trying to emphasize what it really meant to follow Christ. And the question for us there was, are we going to obey all the storms in our life, or are we going to follow Jesus so that he can be our anchor in peace in the midst of the storm? Well, today is no different. In fact, today, this miracle really highlights for us uh, two parallel truths um, about the nature of the coming kingdom of God. And that first one we find in Matthew chapter 9, verse 24. It's just a few words, but they are potent words. What does it say? And they laughed at him. Can you imagine that? They laughed at Jesus. Of course, who could blame them? Some of them probably heard stories about Jesus. Maybe that was the Jesus they heard stories about. But there was a lot left to know about this man, Jesus, that they didn't know. But the girl was dead. They were certain that she had passed away. And death is final. And the notion that some rabbi, even one who has possibly healed people in other towns, would walk into the courtyard and say, Oh, listen, uh, she's just asleep. They laughed. You don't know what you're talking about. We've been with her the whole time. We know what's going on. They laughed at her. And so we might not blame them, but I believe there's a bird's eye view to this story that is worth our time looking at. There is a history of man throughout the scriptures of scoffing and mocking and laughing at God or someone's God, making light of his existence, making light of his justice, his power, in this case, his salvation, his ability to bring back to life or the words of Jesus. There's a history of, of man um, putting up their fists at God and making light of who he is and scoffing at him. And that's kind of a picture that we have here, a courtyard full of people laughing at the notions of this rabbi who we know to be the son of God. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 42:10, As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries ta taunt me while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? Where's your God? Or 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, it says that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, 
Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. You remember even the story of the criminal on the cross, right? One of them looked to Jesus and said, if you are everything you say you are, why don't you save yourself, right? The scoffer. And then we know the other one said, don't, don't talk about him that way. Scoffers. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved is the power of God. In that moment in the courtyard, and again, we, we would have been right there with them, maybe laughing at the notion that this little girl was just asleep and not dead. But in that courtyard, it was full of people laughing and scoffing at the Son of God. The reality is the arrogance of man has no limit, does it? We are arrogant, and, and by God's grace, many of us in this room have been redeemed. We walk in faith with God. We proclaim. We don't scoff. We proclaim that he is, he is the Messiah, the Son of God, the risen one. But our world is full of arrogant men and women who make light or little of God. There is no God? Or what can your God do? What has he done? Look at the evil in our world. Where could your God be? Scoffing and laughing and mocking our God is full in all the earth. I googled, I googled, uh, I did a Google search, and you know how when you put, you put uh, in the, the, the search bar, it'll drop down some suggestions. It tries to guess what you're looking for. So I, I typed this in, believing in God is, and this is what it came up. These are the immediate suggestions. Believing in God is weak, delusional, foolish, a waste of time. Isn't that remarkable? I mean, it's not remarkable. We know this to be true. We know this to be true, that we live in a culture among a people, and this is not new. This, is, this has been happening from the beginning, that, that have scoffed at God, laughed at God, mocked God, and maybe even worse. I don't know what's worse, either mocking at God or being completely apathetic towards God. Should I even bother with this whole God business? Some of us will spend time having conversations with friends and family, and we want their response to be a renewed awareness of who God is and faith, but sometimes we just get like, I just really don't care to invest my mental energy to discern whether this God is real or not. Our, our world is full of people who are indifferent, apathetic, or laughing at God. Their laughter even in this courtyard, is symbolic of those who will not believe, who will reject Christ. The Word of God tells us that he will silence his scoffers. It's all over the scriptures. And there's a steady theme throughout the Bible that God will finally silence all of those who laugh at him and have rejected him. All of him, all of those who mock him and his ways. Acts 13, 41, this is a, um, a quotation out of Habakkuk, but 
It says this, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I'm doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe, even if one tells it to you. We know the prophet at the time was talking about the Babylonians that were going to come in and bring these people into exile, bring judgment. And that's what this verse is saying about those who scoff God. Be astounded. One day you will face the judgment of God. So here's what's important. Every miracle, every miracle that we see, every display of the beautiful nature and power of salvation through Christ is also a warning of the coming kingdom of God and judgment that is to come for those who reject Jesus. It's a fact, Jesus saying over and over again, this is who I am, this is who I am, this is what I'm doing, will you believe? Will you believe? Will you believe? Every proclamation, every miracle is an invitation to a belief, into belief and walking in faith with Jesus. And every miracle is a proclamation that if you reject me, if you don't believe in me, if you don't trust him, if you don't walk in faith with me, then judgment is coming for you when my kingdom comes in all of its fullness. And so we see a beautiful proclamation of what the kingdom of God is like, and we also hear my kingdom also brings judgment against those who reject the Son. Now, likely, likely many of those in that courtyard, once they got word of what happened, believed in Jesus. That's our hope. And that's our hope as we interact and love and serve people in our own communities. As they hear the story of Christ through the word of God in our own testimony, they too will reject apathy or indifference and lay down scoffing and laughter and will have faith. Have faith. That's what we long for. The other parallel truth and the greater of the two is this, is that God longs to turn our mourning into gladness. That the kingdom of God is about joy and gladness in Jesus. And we see that very clearly on display in this miracle. He takes the girl by the hand and says, little girl, I say to you, arise, arise. She was dead. And everyone knew it in the courtyard. And Jesus rose her back to life. And so the parallel truth, not only does this story say, don't mock God. Don't laugh at God. Judgment's coming. Put your faith in God. But he also says the kingdom of God is turning our mourning into gladness and joy by overcoming death. There are two other accounts of resurrections in the New Testament aside from the resurrection of Jesus. You probably know these. Um, uh, one of them, uh, Jesus and the disciples go into a small town called Nain, and there's a huge crowd with them. At this point, a lot of people have gotten word about him. Uh, he was getting, becoming accustomed to big crowds, but they go into this town called Nain, and um, there is a funeral procession, right? There is no doubt as to the condition of this young man, but there's a young man in a coffin being processed down the street. Mother, who has already lost her husband, her only family member is in the coffin, her son, she is wailing, probably along with other people who are grieving alongside her. And Jesus 
comes directly to the coffin and stops the procession. The word of God tells us that he has compassion on the mom. And he touches the coffin. And the man comes back to life. He brings, he turns mourning into gladness. He brings the dead back to life. That's the nature of the kingdom of God. That's the, the essence and power of the kingdom to overcome death and to bring mourning, uh, turn mourning into gladness. I love the compassion of Jesus. Um, we also see, you know the other account in John chapter 11, right? Jesus gets word of, of Lazarus, his dear friend, uh, who, has, who has died or who's dying, right? And they say, come, hurry, so you can heal him. They know what Jesus can do. Um, Jesus delays. The disciples say, why in the world are you waiting around? And he says, because uh, this is about the glory of God, right? And so Lazarus dies. Then they go. Martha meets him on the way. She says, where have you been? If you'd only been here in time, my brother would not have died, he says. Uh, Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Right, And we'll get to that verse a little more in a minute, but later on it says he has compassion and Jesus wept. Don't you love that? This is something of value, something practical for us, and some of you have tasted this more than others. Many of us know what grief is. Uh, grief is painful. It endures. Um, Jesus' compassion reminds us that Jesus doesn't just say, get over it. Get over it. He doesn't even say, you know, you know that I'm coming again. I'm going to make everything right. Just get over it. He doesn't say that. Jesus has compassion for us in our grief, in our tight places, in our brokenness, in our pain. He grieves with us and has compassion for us in our grief. That's something encouraging to me. But so Jesus is not indifferent to our sorrow or our grief. But nor is he indifferent to death itself. He's not indifferent to death itself. Death is not his friend. Death is not freedom. In the scriptures and to Jesus, death is the enemy. It goes against everything that the, God, that the Father had planned and promised. It goes against all of creation. Death is not Jesus' friend. Death is the result of sin. The wages of sin is Death. Jesus is not indifferent to death. He hates death. He hates death. Which brings us back to John chapter 11. And that phrase, Jesus says, Martha, I'm the resurrection and life. He who believes in me, although he dies, yet he will live. And the one who believes in me will never die. Right? And the resurrection and the life. Of course, we know Martha says, yes, I know that your son, the son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. That's the point of this story. That's the heart of this story. The heart of this story for Jesus is, is I want to be able to begin to paint a picture for my disciples and these people that, that in my kingdom, death is overwhelmed and defeated. Death has no place in my kingdom. But those who die 
will rise to newness of life, those who have put their faith and trust in him. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, probably the most extensive teaching on the nature of the resurrection. Um, It says this in verse 51. Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. In other words, not able to die again. And we shall be changed. For the perishable body must put on the imperishable and the mortal body must put on immortality, never to die. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass that saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of sin, of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But listen to this. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the picture of the kingdom. That's the picture of the kingdom here in the story. As Anna and Christy already alluded to, when Jesus was telling the, the mourners and the flute players, just get out of the courtyard. It was, in part, he needed to be with his family alone, but also he was saying something profound, that in my coming kingdom, there is no mourning. There is no grief any longer. There's only joy and gladness to be had. So get rid of them. That empty courtyard that once was full of mourners is soon to be replaced by amazement, joy, and wonder at the risen Christ, or soon to be risen Christ. And that empty courtyard that now is full of amazement and joy and gladness, Jesus says, that's what my kingdom is like. That's what my kingdom is like. Death and grief pain and sorrow is so much a part of the human experience, isn't it? It's hard to imagine what it will be like without it. Jesus says you weren't meant for that. You weren't meant to know grief and sorrow and heartache and pain because of the wages of sin. You weren't meant for that. And so Jesus says, watch what I'm doing. Watch what I'm doing. This is the promise of the kingdom. The promise of the kingdom is that, yes, you grieve for a moment. Paul told the Thessalonians, we don't grieve as those without hope. He was talking about believers who had fallen away. He says they're asleep, just like Jesus had said, she's just asleep. Um, He said, you know, those who have fallen asleep, we don't grieve for them as those uh, without hope. The hope that we have in Jesus is that when Christ returns in all of his fullness, that the dead in Christ will rise, and those who are alive in faith will be changed in a twinkling of an eye. 
and where there once was sorrow and brokenness and pain and heartache as a result of death, Jesus says, oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? It's there no longer. That's the point of the story. And he's going to tell it again. And ultimately, he's going to tell it by his own crucifixion and his own resurrection, that this is the nature of the kingdom of God. Revelation 21.4 says this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither, there, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Matthew and Mark and Luke and John record these miracles for us so that we can be astounded by the nature of Jesus, that he's the son of God, that he's everything that he has said himself to be. They tell these stories so that they, we can have a snapshot of what is coming and what will be fulfilled in Christ. And between now and then, Jesus would say, hold on to me, trust me. Even as you grieve on this side of eternity, grieve with hope that one day Christ will put to death, to death once and for all. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, Lord, for this story of this little girl and her miraculous resurrection. Um, Lord, I pray that you would remove all indifference, uh, apathy from us. Even as believers, Lord, sometimes we can walk like that just, we just, it's out of our mind. We just don't think about you and your son. And so, Lord, I pray that you would replace that with a, a Christ-centeredness in our life that is full of hope and joy. Lord, we have much to cling to, much to rejoice over in the promise and fulfillment of your kingdom through Jesus. We're grateful for that. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said amen. Uh, we're gonna move into a time of response and my encouragement for you is, um, I guess, a, a few things. One is, if, if, you're, if you haven't put your faith in Christ, uh, maybe you're one of those folks in the courtyard that's really made light of God or maybe you've just been in a different, God's just not a big part of your life. Jesus says, would you change that? Will you believe in who I am? Look, look at what I've done, what I'm doing. Will you believe in me? Will you walk in faith um, with Jesus? Come to faith for the very first time, obey the gospel. I, I'd love to know about that. Um, I, I'm gonna be singing during the response today. Uh, but these, uh, this place will be open. If you wanna come pray, ask, um, uh, repent before the Father, whatever God leads you to do. If you just need prayer, you come pray, kneel and pray. Our promise and commitment to you is that someone out of this worshiping family will get up from their chair and pray over you. Or it may be that you know someone in this room that needs prayer. You know you have the freedom just to go to them directly. You don't have to wait for them to come here. So we're going to respond together in singing this song. So let's stand together. We're going to sing a song. Um, all of you know the tune to this song. Uh, but for many of you, this will be brand new words. 
So you may want to take a moment just to listen to some of the words. As we're moving into the new year, um, this needs to be your commitment in 2020. And when you're ready to sing, sing along with us, but let's respond.
Christ our King. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing. All glory be to Christ. God, we um, long, that's our deepest desire in, in our life the steps that we take, the words that we say, the interaction that we have with husbands and wives and kids and friends and family and coworkers. Lord, we long that your name, that your son would be glorified. Lord, we want people to get it. We want people to know and treasure the message of the gospel in faith and to walk in faith. Lord, help us to be those kind of people every day that proclaim the excellencies of your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.